0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Let's jump into Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 starts with these words. It says, in the second year of King Darius... On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Uh, that's what we, we, we kind of got hung up on last week. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Before, before God lets you read his tweet, he wants you to, to read his, his handle, his Twitter handle. You got to know who he is. Before you hear what he has to say to you, because because as we talked about last week, he's not a great public speaker. Um, he's not a great writer. He's not Hemingway. Um, when he when he talks, when he writes, he just throws it out there. He just he doesn't he doesn't use the mechanical the the mechanics of, of good writing to try to um, you know to try to build his case. He just throws it out there, and that that's because he's writing from a place of authority, that he is the Lord. Almighty, And you're going to need to know this in the message that he's about to give to these people. But I would suggest you might want to know this in your own life before you can actually put faith in God and and respond to him and obey him. And and hey, even fast for 21 days, you might want to believe that God is the almighty one. Uh, Before you come to him with your prayer request, you're going to need to believe because your prayer requests are going to be a lot harder Uh, bigger things than you can handle. You've got to believe in a God who is almighty. And so this is what he says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. And then God quotes the people. He says, these people, uh, the Israelites, his people, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. In verse 4, it says, is it time, God's asking just asking a question, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the house of God, remains a ruin? Notice how he's, 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 he's talking about that they're saying it's not time to build God's house. And he's wondering if, it's, if they think it's just time to build their own houses. And uh, this is more than just a question, obviously. Verse five, He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Okay, here we are again, the Lord Almighty. Give careful thought to your ways. Uh, Give careful thought to your ways. In other words, think about it. Uh, Think about how this is working for you. Or to quote, uh, who's the guy on primetime that tried to take over from Oprah but didn't really? Uh, Dr. Phil. To quote Dr. Phil, the Oprah wannabe, uh, how's that working for you? Uh, That's what he always asks his people. How's that working for you? And this is what God says. Take take thought of your ways. Okay, you you haven't been building God's house. You've been building your own house. And now he says, take careful thought of your ways. In verse 6, you "You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. Come on, anybody doing the Daniel fast? Come on, somebody. You know what it is? Only so many peanuts you can eat. (laughs) You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. How's that working for you? <laughs> I, like, I like God's frankness. I like his honesty. But I also, I mean, I love his care. The fact that God notices what his people are wearing, what his people are eating, what his people are drinking, uh, the wages his people are bringing home, and then his people's savings account. If you don't think God is aware of every little detail of your life, man, just read this passage. God is going through and he knows not only what they eat, but he knows how it makes them feel. Not only what they drink, but he knows what it makes them feel. He, he is fully acquainted with their ways. He knows what's going on with us. And look at his care here. He's not, I don't think he's trying to bash the people. He's just, he looks at them and their life is not working for them. Anybody ever had a life that's not working for you? All the brave people raise their hand. I think all of us to some extent could say some areas of my life, just this isn't working for me. This is not work. I mean, it's not that they're not working. It's not that you're not working. It's just not working for you. You're, 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 they're, they're sewing. They're doing what they should do in their fields, right, in their job. Like, they're working really hard, but they're not getting the results that they thought that they would get. They're, they're saving their money. They're trying to, but they're putting it in a bag that has holes in it. And that's figuratively, meaning that the more they save, the more it just slips through their fingers. They're trying to do what they know to do. They, they, they went to Dave Ramsey, right? And Dave Ramsey never told them about a purse that had holes in it. He just told them to save, you know, get your three months of uh, spending money and, and get it in your account. I mean, they, they've been through Financial Peace University. They're, they're hard workers. It's not because they're they're lazy. They are working the fields that they're supposed to work. It's not because they don't have clothes. They're putting clothes on but those clothes are not warming them. It's not because they don't have Starbucks. They have it. They're drinking it. It's just not doing for them what it used to do. They are working, but it is not working for them. And so notice the care of God, that he sees every aspect of our lives, and he knows exactly what parts are not working. And we serve a God who's not content for you to continue living in a life that's not working. He's not happy with you just barely making it by just barely struggling just hardly holding on doing the best you can barely paying the bills he's not he's not content with you living that kind of life and that's why he's coming to them he could have just left them he saw them struggling he saw them they just couldn't figure it out and he could have just said well I guess it is up to you but in his mercy he comes and he speaks to them and it and it does seem to be kind of a harsh word because he says man, this isn't working out for you. You're building your own homes. You're taking care of your own family, but you're not able to take care of your own family on your own. This is, this is a view of the care of God, but it's also a view of what happens when, when you and I cut God out of our lives we focus on building our own families our own homes our own structure our own work our, our own finances we're going to take care of ourselves and what happens is we have all the stuff right like, like it should be working and i think that's what's so frustrating for people because they'll cuz they'll, they'll 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 give me 15 reasons why it should be working and i'm like yeah but yeah but is it But is it work? No, no, it's not working, but but I had 25 people like my post on Facebook that, that says that they also think it should be working. Like my thinking is right, what I'm doing is right, it's just there's something out there that's just stopping me. But yet God is confronting his people and he's speaking to them and he's letting them know, number one, I care about your life working. I want it to work for you. But number two, it's not working. Like, let's just be honest here. Let's just let's just call it like it is. I love people who say they they just tell it like it is. Yeah, until they're talking about themselves. Then they're a little bit different. They're a little softer about the way it is. It, suddenly, it is. Isn't that harsh anymore? But, man, what this guy is doing is he's calling. God is making them look at themselves. And it's like, I know you can look at the other neighbors and tell them like it is. But can you look at yourself and tell yourself like it is? Say, eh. Some things are not working and it's a lot harder, which is why you probably haven't heard somebody preach from Haggai chapter one, (laughs) especially not in the new year, new you mentality. But anyway, to really understand this passage, though, and to understand how they got to where they are and what it will take for them to move forward, you have to look at the backstory, which is found in the book of Ezra. Um, the Bible's not written well. It's not laid out chronologically, so uh, it might be a little confusing to you. But if you turn your Bible back from Haggai, you got to go a number of books to the left, and you'll find a book called Ezra. And Ezra details really details the story um, that that God's talking about here through. Through Haggai, and so I'm not gonna read all of Ezra, but if you have time, I mean it's not a lot of chapters, it's a pretty short read. You should check it out. Ezra chapter one talks about those people um, that I preached about last week, which are the people who came back from exile. And King Cyrus uh declares makes a declaration that that any Jew that wants to go back to the promised land can go back they've been in 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 captivity right for for 70 years so a couple generations so so they they heard about great grandpa harry talking about the good old days and, and 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 it's amazing i have a lot of respect for these people that went back because these people that went back i mean they were going back to nothing all right. Last week we talked about how the promise comes in pieces. God will give you pieces. I use the Legos as an example. God will give you a, a bag of pieces, and that's your promise. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's confusing sometimes when we step into the promise because it doesn't look like the box. And, and that first generation, man, they came back. And I have so much respect for them that they, that they left their home, they left their, their culture, what they grew up as, and they just—they went back to their great grandfather's culture in a place that was desolate. So, man, they—they—they they, they had a lot of spunk. They—they—they—they they, 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 they had a lot of fire inside of them. They went back. That's Ezra chapter one. Ezra chapter two. They start settling in their own homes, preparing to build the temple. By the way, the main reason—the main reason that Cyrus told the people they could go back to Jerusalem was to build the temple. That was the point. That was it. That's what he said. Go back to Jerusalem, build a temple. That's why they went. And so they go back, they build homes for themselves quickly, kind of not great homes, but good enough to provide for their families. And then chapter 2 and then chapter 3 comes along. And in, and in chapter 3, they build an altar on the old foundation um, of the temple, and they build an altar. And this altar is a place of worship. This is in the Old Testament. They always called it worship. Uh, it was a place of sacrifice. It was like a stone table or a, a bronze table sometimes where you, would, where you would lay down offerings to God. You would, you would bring your, your animals from your herd. You would kill them, and you would lay them down there and burn them. That's what, that, But by the way, that's what real worship is. Real worship is laying things down to God that 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 real worship is not just singing a song. Uh, that's that 's part of it and that 's nice, but real worship is when we when we create a space in our heart where we are going to lay things down to God things that are important to us that 's why we 're fasting because we 're laying down Starbucks for twenty one days because it 's important to us so we 're laying it down for God um, someone this week during prayer came up and laid down some nicotine uh, right up here on the on on the on this is our this is our makeshift altar this kind of our, our altar area and just because they felt like God was calling them to lay it that's what it means to to have the presence of God in your life before God comes down and moves in your life you have to prepare a place of sacrifice he responds to sacrifice And it's not that you work your way to salvation, Christ has already done that. But when we lay down bits of ourselves, we receive more and more of him, we create space for him. And this is what they did in Ezra chapter three, before they even started building the place, they built an altar and they sacrificed. It tells you how much that was like so many goats and bulls and rams and blah, blah, blah. And then they started bringing money and they started bringing their money in order to build the temple and so they they in chapter 3 they, they finished the foundation of the temple and there's this great this great rejoicing in the people the people are thrilled about it. they're fired up about it and they sing this song to God and it's awesome you all check out uh, Ezra chapter 3 but what I like about Ezra chapter 3 is right at the very end of the chapter it says that people were shouting with great joy but then at the same time that people were shouting with great joy, there were also some really old people who re, that, that were there who remembered the former temple. And then when they saw this, this foundation, how it wasn't nearly as cool as the previous one, they started weeping loudly. And so the Bible says that those that were shouting for joy and those that were weeping were just as loud so that if you were far away, you couldn't tell if the people were happy or crying. And I, maybe it's just because I've been through a little building program myself. But I love that. I love that the Bible just acknowledges that sometimes people are like, yeah, we got a new building. And other people are like, yeah, I don't like cement. I'm just not like, is, it, is that stage ever going to get finished? I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like and he, sometimes like, so like the shout that goes up is like, Well, it's a mixture. It's a mixture. Some people are crying. Some people are laughing over the same thing. Like it's hilarious, but, but, but it's just, it's like, like, this is real. This is God's people. They're rebuilding the temple. They're fired up. They're moving forward. And then chapter four of Ezra hits and we find opposition. And this is where I want to read to you from Ezra. um, Chapter four says when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin Notice the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, the enemies of the people of God. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, by the way, you have an enemy. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but you have an an enemy of your soul. Some people call him the devil, Lucifer. Uh, He's after you, he wants to destroy you. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel, he's the governor, and to the heads of the families and said, Let us help you. What I want to talk to you about today is if your enemy cannot stop you, which he can't. We talked about last week how the Lord is the Lord Almighty. He can do anything, anytime, anywhere. If your enemy cannot stop you, there are three things that he will try to do. Number one, if your enemy cannot stop you, he'll try to join you. The enemies of the children of Israel come to them and they say, let us help you build. Now, you might, you might think that they have bad intentions because they are their enemies. And there, there are some, there's probably some truth to that. But really, they might have had good intentions because these people were probably Samaritans who, who thought of themselves as Jewish people, even though they had taken the Jewish faith and kind of intermingled it uh, with, the, with the secular faiths. But they really did believe they were worshiping Jehovah, Yahweh. And so there's a sense in which th- they weren't necessarily trying to be evil. There's a sense in which they were just coming along saying, let us, let us help you make this easier. Let us help you uh, speed up this process of building the temple. Let us, this is a big job. This is a lot of work. This is going to take a long time. You're, you're going to get stressed. You're going to get weary. It's going to get heavy. Let us come in and help you. And I feel like this is one way that if the enemy cannot stop us, one thing he tries to do is he tries to come alongside us and join us and tell us, you know what, it doesn't have to be so hard. It doesn't have to be so difficult. You don't really have to give that much to God. You don't really have to build an altar. I mean, you don't really, you really don't have to rush this thing. We'll ease into it. We'll slowly sort of step by step, incrementally start changing our family tree, you know, like, like one little inch a year, you know, we'll sort of get better. And maybe by the year 2350, we'll be there and uh, you'll be dead and it's all good. The enemy loves to come along and, and try to make things easier. He's, he comes as a helper to us. And all these and and if and, and, and we live in a generation in a culture that just loves help. We just we just we, we we just love extra things to make life more convenient. And one thing I've noticed is that man online is is, is this 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 screen that, that 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 I'm I'm preaching from right here. This 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 screen is one of the things that we feel just makes our lives so much easier like right so 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 we don't have real relationships because we sp- we spend time staring at the screen and clicking on people's pictures and things and we feel like that's a relationship it's a quicker version of a relationship cuz you don't have to compromise you don't have to listen to people talk to you you don't have to meet up with anybody. You don't have to deal with their, with their weird nuances and strange behavior. You just get to see their, their highlight reels, and you smile, and you click on it, and you, you, you sit down for 45 minutes on your couch, and you feel like you've had a, a relational experiences by scrolling through a screen. I'm preaching now. It's a shortcut. It's a shortcut. To intimacy, it's a shortcut to friendship. Real friendship doesn't work like that. Real intimacy doesn't work like that. Following God is not is easy. Following God doesn't work like that either. You can't just hey, guys watching online. You can't just tune in online. (laughs) Before I said that, I just had to record. Some of our folks are like way too far. Like they live in Michigan and they can't do anything about it, which is why we're trying to start something in Michigan because the kingdom of God has to be more than a screen. It has to be more than what you can get on YouTube. And you can get some good stuff on YouTube. I love YouTube. As somebody, as somebody who loves worship on YouTube and somebody who has actually been in the presence of God before, I'm like, I'm the same guy. I can tell you YouTube is nothing like the presence of God. Like you can watch Bethel and it's like, woo, like, you know, like they're, they're, they're doing, Jen Johnson's like, you know, going to the seventh heaven. She's like elevating off the floor and you know, it's, it's like, woo, does she go? And, and it, you feel something, you really do. But it's, it's, a, it's, it's such a, a cheap version of the real thing. Just like you feel something when somebody likes your photo and the comment, oh, your kids are so cute. You feel something, but it's a cheap version of real friendship. Even so, connecting with God or worship via YouTube is a cheapened version. It's a diluted product. That's the danger of allowing this, this fast food, this, 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 this enemy to come along and help us. The danger is that the process will be compromised and the product will become diluted. Look what he says. Look, 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 look what they say to him. They say, let us help you. Uh, but but, but, but Zerubbabel in verse 3, you're going to skip down to verse 3. Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the family of Israel answered. Look what they said. They said, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone, we alone will build it. There are some things that only you can build in your life. The pastor can't build it for you. YouTube can't build it for you. Husbands, your wives can't build it for you. Wives, your husbands can't, you can't make this a honey-do list. This doesn't go on the honey. This is you alone. Single people, you're not waiting for a spouse. You alone can build this. And then you'll find another single person who actually likes what you've built. Because they've been building something also. This is so important that you alone, you alone can build a place of worship in your heart. You alone, you alone can do it. Nobody else can do it for you. You can't outsource this, you can't Amazon Prime it. There's no shortcuts to it. There's no way to make it quicker or easier. All of the help in the world, all of the YouTube, all of the the Bethel worship that that, that I personally watch on YouTube does not do in my heart what, what 10 minutes of me alone with God can do and what the presence of God can do. Sometimes I feel like, I feel like these screens, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it, I, I know I sound like an old person talking about these screens, but I'm just trying to tell you what it really is. It's not your life. It's a screen. And so, and so I feel like these screens, it's kind of like, like people pressing their noses up against the windows of a really good bakery. Have you ever been to a really good bakery? Anybody been to a really good we're, we're one week into the fast, and so most of my examples are gonna be about food, I'm going to talk about some steak here in a minute, some bakery, man, but I mean, you get, there's a, there's a bakery down in New Braunfels, just down the road from where Shannon works, and uh, we like to go there, it's like the oldest bakery in Texas is what they say, I don't know how you prove that, but we go, we, 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 we go to that on our family fun day, and it's, and it's a pretty good bakery, it's not like the one we went to in Maine, that was pretty awesome, the East Coast, man, they have some great bakeries, London, the one I went to walk to, walked into in London was even better, so, but there's some, there's some pretty good bakeries. The one in in New Braunfels is good. I love their apple turnovers. You know, it's like the the fluffy pastry and uh, it's drizzled with that white sugar. And man, when it's warm, it's got all that fake apple stuff in it. When it's warm, mm, it's good. See, some of you guys are salivating right now. You're feeling it. And I'm telling you, maybe maybe we ought to do that Friday, honey. Like we're we're fasting, but that doesn't mean we can't go look in the window, you know? Just like, just, just lust after all that bread, all those buns, cinnamon, cinnamon buns, that is. You know, I mean, you just like, you just like, even as I'm describing it. But I mean, certainly when you see it, you feel something. You're like, mmm, that's good stuff. And I feel like these streets, it's kind of like that. It's like, it's like peering through the window of a, of, of, of a bakery, like, like looking at the presence of God. And we're like, oh, that looks good. That Man, that really looks good. And you feel it. And wow, that looks good. But, but let me tell you, the, the, if, if looking at a pastry l- looks good, when you open the door to that bakery and that smell just hits you in the face. If it looks good, it smells so much better. You might forget what a what an apple turnover looks like, but you will never forget what it smells like. You will never forget. Smells get registered in a deeper part of your brain, and it gets it gets down into your spirit. And then when you actually taste it, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is what it means to know the presence of God. is not just to press your nose up against the window and watch other people enter into these amazing experiences. God wants you to step into an amazing experience yourself and smell it and taste it and eat it and be filled with it. Your kids aren't going to remember how you tuned in online. Your kids are going to remember what they felt when they walked into a place where the presence of God was. They're not going to get addicted to watching worship. They're going to get addicted to feeling and smelling and tasting the presence of God in worship. These are the things that stick with you 38 years later. This is the stuff that you go back to. You don't go back to a picture. You don't go back to a window shopping version of Christianity. Nobody's, nobody's leaving anything significant to watch something. We are, we, are, we are dropping so many important things because we have tasted something that is so good that all this nasty Hershey's just simply cannot compete. It's got like, I don't, know, I don't know what it has in it. Is it chalk or something? What do they put Some kind of filler in the Hershey's? I don't know. It's not like once you've had Godiva, you can't go back. You just can't go back to that. Once you've had real pastries, like you can't go to McDonald's and get the little, you know, apple, whatever that nastiness is. Oh, Lord, we'll pray for you. If you're still addicted to that, which is you need to be delivered. You need to get some real pastries in your life in 14 days not now 14 days we we'll, we'll, we'll get it in your life but but when you but this is what we mean by laying down things for God it's not because we're trying to impress him the old saying "You can't outgive God" is still true. Primarily because God has already outgiven you. When He went to the cross, He gave all for us. He did more than sacrifice 21 days. He didn't just give up 21 days of of Starbucks for you. He laid down His life for you and for me. He's worthy of our sacrifice. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of us building a temple in our homes, in our lives, in our hearts—a place where we lay down ourselves. For him, he's worthy of it. We're not like trying to impress him or get him to listen to us because we have to. We're, this is a response to his greatness. And when the enemy comes in and says, "Let's let's shortcut this thing. Let's 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 simplify. Let's let's make this quicker," what he's really trying to do is he's trying to dilute the product. He's trying to mess with the product. And this is what happens so many times. But not only that. If he, can't, if he can't dilute the product, if he can't join you, after, after verse 3 when they said um, no, yeah. verse 4 comes along and tells us that then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people. If the enemy cannot stop you, which he can't, then he will try to discourage you. He will try to discourage you. If you're, if you're suffering from discouragement, I want you to know that's an attack of the enemy. It is a part of his plan. It's a part of his, his, his attempt. to. He can't stop you, so he's going to attempt to discourage you. If you keep on reading, we don't have the verses on the screen, but the way that they attempted to discourage them is they hassled them. They hassled them. Because they couldn't stop them, so they got the countries around them to negotiate and, and debate with them about trade, about this, about that. Well, we don't want to give you that. We'll up the price on this. We'll put a lot of red tape around that. Basically, a lot of permits they had to go through. They, if, if the enemy cannot stop you, he will, he will try to discourage you, usually, usually by hassling you. So many, like a thousand little things will come at you all at once. It's not the size of the things that break you down. It's that there are so many little things, annoyances, burdens, distractions, pressures, uh, that, that suddenly seemingly out of nowhere just start surrounding you when you start trying to build a place for god's glory in your life the enemy is going to start hassling you it'll be in your finances it'll be in your family it'll be in your friends it'll be in your church it'll be something the pastor says it, it, it will start hassling the pressures of life, the burdens of life, your kids, the, their schooling, your schooling, uh, your relationships with your spouse. Suddenly, things are suddenly all of these little things are going to start nagging and picking and pecking away at you, and it's and it's an attempt of the enemy to discourage you. And the the word discourage it's not an emotional word in the Hebrew. The word discourage here in scripture means to to get their hands to hang down. That's what it means. It doesn't mean to make them emotionally weary. Obviously, that's part of it. Mental weariness eventually affects your hands and your hands go down to load you up with so many cares, so many concerns, load up your schedule with so much to do that you are carrying so much through your life that finally you just, your arms get tired, your legs get tired, your heart gets tired, your mind gets tired, your life gets tiring. It's, it's exhausting. And you're so exhausted that your hands just do this. Because the enemy knows that if, if your hands can go down, that if he can take down your hands. Your hands in in the Hebrew mind, it's 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 what you do. It has to do with your life, it has to do with with your walk, what, what, what we would call your walk, it has to do with what you're how you're living. The things that you used to do, you stop doing them. The things you used to care about, you stop caring about them the things you used to be committed to you stop being committed to them be- why because of all the little hassles all the little nagging things that that you just couldn't take one more thing and so your hands go down and this is a this is a ploy of the enemy to discourage you when your hands go down it stops you from accomplishing your purpose that's one of the reasons why you're eating but you're not filled you're drinking but it's not working for you that's why it's not working for you is because your hands went down as a preacher, if my hands go down, you can't really hear me very well. I, I, the, the thing that projects my voice to this congregation is, 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 is in my hand. The thing that projects my voice is in my hand. And if my hand goes down, if your hands go down, God can silence the message that was supposed to come out of your life. People won't hear what He's doing for you and in you and through you. Your family, those around you, they won't be able to hear you because your hands are down and you're walking around like this and you're talking just as an average person. You don't have the amplification that God intended you to have. You don't have the power that God intended you to have. You don't have the joy that God intended you to have. And if you try carrying all this stuff without joy... If you try doing all this stuff without peace, if you try doing all this stuff without, without the presence of God in your life, it is heavy. Why do you think religious people are so grumpy all the time? <laughs> it's because they're tired. When they say they're sick and tired, they mean it. They literally are tired. Of all the judgment, of all the weight of having to be the, the police of all the morality of all of Austin, it's burdensome, it's tiring. You gotta carry around this, and 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 after all the hassle, you don't have the joy of God in your heart anymore. You don't have hope for people, you don't have belief that God's gonna do something in somebody's life that's better than what that 2019 could be better than 2018. It gets tiring, you just put your hands. message of your life is silenced the role of your life is finished you're not doing what you were meant to do because you got tired you got discouraged you got you got you got heavy and you just let your hands down a bit but but can I just encourage you that throughout the history of the church i mean we're talking from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven until this very day throughout the history of the church God's people have been undefeated whenever they had their hands up. They have gone undefeated. They are are 1,000 in zero whenever their hands are up. But when their hands are down, we can't win a thing. Because this life that I'm talking about, it's it's not a thing that you do. It's a thing that you feel. It's a thing that you believe. It's a thing that you know. And if you don't know it anymore, if you don't feel it anymore, if you don't believe it anymore, why bother doing the stuff? The enemy is at work trying to discourage so many people, I see it time and time again. It's a hassling. He's just, he's just nagging at them. So many different voices, so many different expectations, so many things that it's like, well, you should be here by now, and you should have done that by now, and you should be over there by now. And it's all this hassling voices in our mind that makes our hands so heavy that finally we can't fight our battles. We just lower our hands, and, and the enemy knows the danger of the church when her hands are up the enemy knows your potential when your hands are up for instance after verse 4 the 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 enemies of god they 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 uh they wrote a letter to the current king uh, of persia darius was his name i don't have it on the screen cuz so it's kind of a lengthy letter uh, but in verse 16 i do have verse 16 to show you because this is what they say at the end of their letter they say we informed the king That if this city is built and its walls are restored, you will be left with nothing in the trans-Euphrates. We informed the king. Let us tell you of these people's potential. Let us tell you of what they could do. We informed the king that if the temple is built, if the city is completed you will be left with nothing. I'd just like to inform the enemy right now that if this house is ever completed, the house inside of our hearts, that if if I ever build a temple to God and I ever actually create a place of sacrifice to him, I'll just inform him right now, he will be left with nothing in Austin, Texas. He will be left with nothing. There will be no... Power, no influence, no authority in any spot in this world when God's people turn over their lives to him. Do you know the potential of sacrifice? Do you know the potential that, that comes from you simply building a place of worship in your heart? The enemy will be left with nothing and he knows it. Then also in verse 4, it tells us, it tells us that they tried to discourage him. And then if the enemy can't stop you, if, if, go back to verse 4 of, uh, of Ezra. Set out to discourage them. And then when they couldn't do that, they set out to make them afraid to go on building. So if the enemy can't stop you, which he can't, the third thing he'll do is he will try to make you afraid of something other than God. Make you fear something other than God. And the way they went about doing this is in that letter. They wrote a letter to King Darius, and they said, you, ought to, you really ought to check the history books on these guys. These guys are rebels. I'm telling you, there have been great kings that have come out of Jerusalem. You don't want them to rebuild the temple. And then they ended the letter with, if you, if you let them build, you'll be left with nothing. And so King Darius, who was after Cyrus, who, who released them, King Darius reversed Cyrus's uh, decree because, I mean, they didn't even mention the decree, but King Darius reversed it. And he said, tell them they have to stop building right now. And so the enemies of God, man, they took that letter. They went to those people and they said, all right, see, Darius tells you you have to stop building. So we have swords and spears and shields, and we're here to enforce the law of the land. And by the way, this is what finally stopped them. I I told you, I have great respect for these people because they came back to nothing and they avoided the temptation to take a shortcut and they avoided even the temptation to become discouraged. But the final blow for them was, hey, the king said, you have to stop building. Why? Because they feared the king. In a biblical sense, they feared the king. I don't mean they were like always living afraid of, oh, my goodness, is that the king? Uh, You know, it's not not like people were dressing up as the king for Halloween. I'm not saying that they feared the king in that way. But they, in a biblical sense, they feared the king above anything else. Because you always know what you fear based on what you obey. This is how you know. And, and and for the people of Israel, they, they feared the king, and this is something that uh, uh, is is referenced in the book of Haggai, right? We read last week at the uh, at the toward the end of the chapter of that of that first chapter tells us that they feared the Lord right? Uh, verse. I think it's verse 12. I think we actually have that to put up on the screen. In verse 12, it says, Zerubbabel, after Haggai's message to them, Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, Joshua, son of Jozek and the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent them and the people feared the Lord. And this is, this is what I want to leave you with. This is, this is what I want you to think about. Is there is a fear of the king and then there is a fear of the Lord and we don't talk about fear of the Lord very often because like back in the 50s it was kind of made to be like well you got to be afraid of God because he's gonna thump you at any given time you just have to you know he's gonna zap you and uh, you just you just never know when he's gonna get mad at you and then sort of somewhere along the way we really watered that message down to fear of the Lord means to have a sort of reverence for him. So when you come into church, take your hat off and just kind of honor him. You know, it's just sort of this honor thing. But neither one really catches... The true meaning of the word. And so, and so I want to give you a definition that I think is a great working definition from uh, Gateway, from we, when we went to Kairos. This is the definition that they use. And I really love this definition of fear. And we have it to put up on the screen for you. But they say that it is a heightened awareness of the dynamics of a relationship between me and a superior object that I believe will affect my future. So this is a mouthful. So we need to read that again. It's a heightened awareness. So it's a realization. You're coming, this dawning is coming upon you. You're realizing this. It's a heightened awareness of the dynamics of a relationship. There's a relationship between me and a superior object that I believe, and that's key, will affect my future. So, for instance, uh, me and the kids were out, um, hunting, what were we? I think we were hunting a squirrel or something with BB guns. I don't know. No, it was a rabbit. That was it. We were hunting a rabbit with BB guns on our 14 acre property. We're walking along, and there's this. We don't hardly have any trees in our property. There's this is one spot that's kind of wooded, and this is last year we were out there. This is in the springtime, so the the, the trees were kind of full, and uh, we're out there in the wooded area with our BB. That they had BB guns, and um, I'm trying to help them. You know, maybe shoot this rabbit, and um, because rabbits dig holes for the horses. The, the horse's feet fall and it breaks their legs. So um, we're really saving the world, actually. Um, <laughs> look at me like I shot Bambi. Uh, anyway, we, we, we were out there and um, Madden suddenly sees a snake. And it's a, it's a diamondback rattlesnake. And she's like, Dad, Dad, stop. And I, she's great at spotting those things. And so we all freeze. And suddenly, like, we're not looking for a rabbit anymore. You know what i mean like i guess the rabbits is going to dig some holes some horses are going to break their legs and life is going to go on um i'm now thinking about the dynamics of the relationship between my kids especially and me and that snake because that snake is in this environment superior to us we got bb guns <laughs> we don't when I have ak-47s we should have a bb gun All we can really do is like swing the gun at it and run. Like that's about all we can do. And it's about 10 feet away from us and it's about a five, seven foot snake. And it can basically jump that distance. And if it bites one of my kids, they will die. This will affect their future. This will dramatically affect their future. If it bites me, I'm small enough, I'll probably die. It'll (laughs) affect my future. (laughs) I believe. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to give me a, a pamphlet. You don't have to preach to me a sermon about how the, I see the snake. I see the fangs. I see the diamonds on his back. I hear the little, and I'm like, um, that thing could affect my future. And so I stop everything else I'm doing. I don't think about anything else. We're not hunting rabbits now. Kids, hand me your guns. <laughs> so they hand me the guns and I'm like, okay, now count of three, you guys run back to the house. So they take off running. I stay there, make sure they clear. Snake kind of starts moving a little bit. So I pump the little, you know, shotgun, ping, I hit it and it starts moving faster. I'm like, that's not a good idea. So I run. (laughs) Because I'm wise and a man of faith and power just has got to run sometimes. Because the dynamics of the relationship is that thing's got spikes in its mouth and venom that is poisonous. I believe in the dynamics of the relationship that I have to that thing, so I'm going to fear that thing. It's not that I'm li- it's not, I don't have nightmares about snakes, but when I come across a snake, I'm backing up, uh, if it looks like that, and I'm, I am running because I, I f- because I recognize the power it has. Really, what you fear, that's what you call Almighty. What you fear is what you call almighty in your life. If you fear your boss, if you fear unemployment, that's what you're going to call almighty. If you fear divorce, that's what you're going to call almighty. If you fear the death of a loved one, that's what you're going, whatever you fear is what you call almighty. You say that thing has the power to dramatically affect my future. That thing and that thing alone, or that person or their opinion, has the power to so impact me that I need to make sure they're happy. I need to make sure I do what they want me to do. I need to make sure I look like what they're wanting. Whatever you fear will have the power. You believe it has the power to impact your future, which is why God starts Haggai chapter 1 with telling them about how it's just not working for them because he wants them to know that they actually, the king, doesn't have the power to affect their future because even though they feared the king, the king hasn't blessed them, the king hasn't taken care of them, the king hasn't made their life any better. Instead, God is the one who has all power, and he has the power to bless you in such a way that nobody can unbless you when he blesses you. Nobody can take away the joy that he gives. Nobody can steal the peace that he gives. The stuff that he gives is so powerful, it's more powerful than anything else on this planet. So he's saying, you really ought to fear me because I am the one who can affect your future more than anything else. When we fear God, we are, we are acknowledging his ability both for good and for evil to truly affect our future. That if God is for us, who can be against us? If God has blessed us, who can curse us? If God has healed us, who can make us sick again? If God has has healed our relationship, who can break it down again? I'm not fearing a person. I'm not fearing an institution. I'm sure not fearing the politician no mighty. I'm fearing the God Almighty who has power over my life to speak a word and change everything in my existence. He controls my future. He holds it in His hands. I tried other stuff. I tried my own wisdom and it hasn't worked out very well. I've seen the power of God though. He steps in. He brings money from all kinds of places. He brings help from all kinds of places. He organizes and orchestrates and sets up and brings up kings and He takes down kings. He, he is sovereign over all of creation. And so I believe he's almighty, so he's the one that I choose to fear. And this is what the people did. They chose to fear God, and they began to build the building of God. In Haggai chapter 1, they began to build. Now what you need to know is that technically they had stopped. They had stopped for 15 years. King Darius told them to stop building, and so they stopped. About 15 years later, Haggai came with the message. I'm 38 right now, which means 15 years, I'd be 53. I'd still be pretty strong, able to do some stuff. My daughter, she's 10, she'll be 10. She'd be like 25 in 15 years. In those cultures, she'd be married, have kids of her own, they would be adults. And this is the word of the Lord that came to that generation. They said, look, is it time for you to be building your own houses? Or is it time to build the house of the Lord? Now they didn't have a new king, a new, a new issue, a new decree from the king. See, this is why I think God talked about the issue of timing because I'm pretty sure if, if I would've heard the king say, all right, stop building, I would've said, well, it just must not be the right time. And so that whole generation stopped for 15 years. For 15 years, they struggled to make it financially. For 15 years, they lived without purpose. Because the purpose that, 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 we, that we knew, my generation knew that God had called us to do, Cyrus had sent us specifically to Jerusalem to build the temple, that was on hold. I don't know if you have, if you have ever lived with, with your destiny on hold, but it's not a good feeling. You feel like, you know, the plane, when it's, when it's trying to land, we were on a plane one time when the landing gear wouldn't pop out. So we had to circle the city and circle the city and circle the city while they tried to fix it. And it was right over by where we were sitting. They were like pulling up the carpet and trying to, I'm like, this is not a good sign. This is not a good sign. But you only got so much gas, you know what I'm saying, to circle. And it's like, and and sometimes I feel like people's lives are like that. And they're like, how long can I keep circling this city? When am I going to find my purpose? When am I going to land? When am I going to get to where I thought I was going? And it's difficult to have your destiny on hold. It's real difficult. And what's crazy? What's crazy is you got it. You get like I, I wish we had time to read the whole story. But what's crazy is that generation said yes. They said yes to God. We read it there. They feared the Lord. Zerubbabel said, "All right, guys, we're gonna do this. Come on, we're gonna build this thing." They started building, and right away their enemies came to them and said, "Um, what you doing?" <laughs> they and they said, "Uh, we're building the wall." And and their enemies said, "Well, we're gonna tell dad on you." And um, they said, "Okay, fine, whatever. And so they wrote another letter. Their enemies wrote another letter. This time, Darius, the other king of Persia, had died. And King Artaxerxes was now king. And they wrote a letter. And when they wrote a letter to King Artaxerxes, that king did a little research and he found that Cyrus had commanded them to go not only had Cyrus commanded them to go to Jerusalem but he had commanded for them to fund it for Babylon to fund the building of the temple and so he had commanded all this money to go with them well well, then he realizes oh my gosh like Cyrus made this decree and Darius can't reverse the decree that's not how this works you can't like you know cross things out of the constitution you know <laughs> technically really you can't you can't do that You just not. you can make a amendments to it if you want to but you can't like just like so 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 darius can't just reverse this thing and so king artaxerxes sends a letter back to the enemies of god and he says hey you know what thanks for sending this to me because i i kind of did a little bit of study and i found out these guys are supposed to be building the temple so here's what i want you to do i want you to leave them alone i want you to let them build the temple in fact he told them stay far away from them can you imagine? Can you imagine those guys come back? And they're like, so, um, yeah, we got the email back from the king. <laughs> and he says, you're good. So you're good. Fifteen years. I thought I was stumped. I thought my destiny was stopped. I thought there was this huge closed door in my face. Fifteen years. And all it took was a letter. All it took was for me just to start building Literally, that's all I had to do was just ignore what the other guy said and just keep doing what God said. That's all I had to do. Can you imagine the feeling of (laughs) disappointment, of shock and of awe? And not only that, but the king said, hey, by the way, like we owe these guys a lot of money for 15 years of no payment. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to take all of your taxes All the taxes of the enemies of God that you're paying to us because we conquered you, we're going to take all of your taxes and we want you to deliver it to the Israelites. So when you guys give all your taxes, go deliver it to the people of God for them to build their temple. It's crazy to me the kind of restoration, the kind of provision, the kind of protection that God has for his people when they simply fear him over anybody else. But this is this is the picture I have in my mind. If if I was if I was one of those guys, if I was 53 years old, and my daughter started building and she got all this money, I, it's 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 almost like it's almost like when King Darius. Is there anybody up? Hello. It's almost like when King Darius, like he slammed the door right in their face. He has a big old you know stormtrooper blaster door like this, and he slammed the door in their face it's almost like we thought we knew what God was doing. We thought we knew what was happening. And then it just stopped. And the disappointment, like I, I just think that generation for 15 years must have just stood at that closed door and wept. For what they thought was going to happen. For what they thought they were called to for what they felt like they knew it and they 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 had they had persevered and they 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 hadn't they had worked through all the discouragement they fought so hard all for this door to be slammed shut in their face and and then it then it was locked and then suddenly their kids just keep building and it must have been a shock to them to realize that they actually weren't locked out of the promises of god They were locked in their own fear of the king. The difference between locked in and locked out of things is that when you're locked in, the lock is on this side. You know, the little switch. That's why we have it on this side, so that nobody gets locked in here. And literally, all they had to do was flip it. All they had to do was flip their fear. All they had to do was turn it from fearing the king to simply fearing God. All they had, all they like they had the, the lock was on the inside. They were locked in something. They were never locked out of the promises of God. They were locked in something. All they had to do was flip their fear and and, and start fearing God instead of the king. I'm telling you, if you just started fearing God instead of your in-laws, if you started fearing God. <laughs> instead of your, your spouse, if you started fearing God instead of some pastor, if you started fearing God instead of some religious organization or institution, if you started fearing God instead of poverty, if you started fearing God instead of lack, if you started fearing God instead of sicknesses, you would realize that that the doors to the promises of God are, are able to just open for you. Like you literally, you just turn the handle and you step into all the provision that he has for you. You see all of the stuff that he has for you. All of the the money is there. All of the healing is there. All the people are there. All of the help is there. All of the encouragement is there. All of the motivation that you're lacking. It's alright. Right there. You just have to flip your fear. The harvest is on the other side of your fear. The harvest is on the other side of the door that is is blocking you. And it's just as easy to open as as flipping your fear, flipping the switch over your fear. You just have to change instead of being so afraid of what so-and-so might say or what so-and-so might think or what so-and-so might do. Instead of being so afraid of Politics and what, who might get voted in there and what might happen over here. Man, if you feared the Lord, you would find that one, He's not scary, (laughs) and two, He has the power to open up every promise to you that He's made. And He wants to, He wants your life to work. Doesn't want you sowing and not reaping. He doesn't want you putting on clothes and not being warm. He doesn't, he doesn't want you eating and not being filled. He wants the opposite of that. He wants you to sow and then to see a harvest. He wants you to eat and feel filled when you're done fasting in 14 days. He wants you to drink and to enjoy it. He wants your life to be full. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a minute? I just feel like the Lord's speaking to some people today. And I just feel like I want to give an invitation to you to 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 invite him and to shift the fear. Really to invite him to prove himself to you, to show himself to you, and to shift the fear in your heart, to go from fearing. Man, fearing yourself, fearing that you won't measure up to what you thought you would be. All the ways in which we could fear, but rather to fear God. To recognize his lordship, his power over your life, that he has all power over your life. And he can affect your life, dramatically change your life. That's what—that's where salvation begins. It simply begins with recognizing that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that i can ask or think that he can change my life in ways that i cannot change my life that he has the key to my harvest he has the key to my fulfillment he has the key to my to my future he can affect my future i don't know if you've never made that decision to follow jesus and to make him the lord of your life to make him the almighty in your life maybe you have made that decision and you've you've opted for other kings <clears throat> and other decrees, other voices are weighing heavily on you. and You need to reaffirm that decision. Would you just raise your hand right now and just say, that's me. I'm making that decision. I am putting, just put your hand up high so we can see it. This isn't between, really, I mean, we're not, I'm not going to do anything, but I just think if you're truly desiring God Man, Father, we raise our hands to you. We lift our hands to you and our hearts to you. We need you. Lord, forgive us for bowing before other kings. Forgive us for bowing before other opinions and other pursuits. Even even the pursuit of our own heart. (laughs) The, The desires of our own heart. We don't really know how they got there. You know how they got there, so you would probably be able to label them better. But we bow before you. We yield to you. We say that you are God. You are almighty. You have the power to do everything that you've promised. You have the power to take my life and do something beautiful with it, do something meaningful with it. Lord, I believe, I believe. That's the key, is that you would believe. Whoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. There has to be a shift in what you believe, not just just a thought in your head, but a belief of your heart that God is able. I believe that God is powerful. I believe that he is more powerful. And all of these areas of my life that aren't working is evidence of my lack of power. (laughs) I don't have the answer. I don't have the path. Father, I need you. I submit to you and your ways. I don't have to understand them. You don't have to explain them to me. Because obviously you got a much better handle on this whole thing. And so I submit to you. In your ways, and I commit to build this thing, to build this altar, to build this temple, this place of worship in my own heart. You will have a place in my heart. You will have a devotion in my heart. You will have the first place in my life. Nothing will come between you and me. Nothing will, will take me away from you. Nothing will come between us either. We, I, I, I commit to intimacy with you. I commit to closeness with you. Not because I'm afraid of you, but because I truly fear the Lord. My prayer is that, not that we would have no fear at all, but that we would be so consumed with the fear of the Lord that we wouldn't dare think of fearing anything else. <laughs> that all their fears would fall aside. All their obligations would fall aside. All other cultural expectations and and family stuff and baggage that we've been carrying, all that stuff wouldn't affect us because we would be so affected by the God who, who says who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.